Welcome to the Touring Plans Podcast. Welcome to the Touring Plans Podcast. I'm Angela Dahlgren, here with my co-host, Brian McNichols. Hello. And we have Dave of the Brandy and Dave Podcast on the show today. Hello, Dave. Hello, everyone. How are we doing? Well, we're doing okay. How are you, Brian? I'm always fine. <laughs> Love it. I'm just chilling, you know. Before we get started, this podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. Our customizable touring plans will save you up to four hours in line at the theme parks. Visit touringplans.com for more information. And before we ask Dave all kinds of questions, last episode, Guy Selka covered his D23 experience, so please go check that out. And we're ready to talk to Dave of the Brandy and Dave podcast, YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram, all about his Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opening day experience. Dave, let's quick kind of talk about like how, why you're here, like how we know each other, all that stuff. Let's talk about you, then we'll talk about that. So Brandy and I have a YouTube channel, I have for about two years now, not long ago, we started a a podcast called the Disfluencers Podcast on which... Angela, you were so gracious to be a guest where we spotlight different influencers in the uh, Disney enthusiast community. Doesn't it sound official when you say it that way? It's, it feels very official. It does. <laughs> but I don't know. Since then, uh, we, we've been uh, talking, hanging out, and it just so happened that we were both going down to Disney World for the opening of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And it was a doozy. Do you even remember it at this point? You didn't sleep very much. The funny part is, is that after we left there at like 11 o'clock that morning, if it was that late, I said to myself that I didn't have enough video. (laughs) Fast forward to when I got home, I had 55 minutes worth of video to go through to parse down. It was uh, it was insane. Uh, It was crazy. And I I think leading up to it, Angela, we were going back and forth on how to attack this thing, right? Like we we were trying to figure out the official (sighs) touring plans way on what to do when the news was coming out. Was there going to be a virtual queue? Were they going to allow people to camp out overnight? Like it was all of this stuff and was just was absolutely crazy because we're both planners at heart and Mm -hmm. we didn't have all the information. And I'm pretty sure there were multiple panic attack texts slash Twitter messages slash whatever flying around, (laughs) just not knowing if we were going to be able to tackle this monstrosity. No, I don't want to say we were panicking, but we were panicking. We're like, okay, so this news just came out. What are you going to do? No, it was bad, Brian. Like, we we were panicking. No, I don't blame you. I mean, they... Disney was not forthcoming with that kind of information. And we were, we were trying to keep the site updated as far as like entrance procedure and and all that stuff. And and it wasn't until a couple days before that they even started to hint at what they were going to allow. It was so frustrating. It was frustrating. And, you know, being, being a a touring plans fan slash acolyte slash whatever you want to say, I mean, been using the product for years not having access to like that information was just, it was freaking me out, man. No, I would say it was a complete 180 from what we saw with the Disneyland opening. Wouldn't you say, Brian? Because you were there for the opening of Galaxy's Edge. In yeah, California. and that was, I mean, we knew months in advance, like what the procedure was going to be. We had to get the reservations and then we showed up at time and everything was very organized. And then Disney had to deal with a summer of of people saying that it was a failure because it moved so smoothly that there weren't big lines. So they said, okay, you want lines? Fine. No, it was, it was very stressful. Like true. Dave's talking to his buddies. I'm messaging Brian and Len and the stats guys being like, when should I get there? And it was first, it was midnight. Then it was the night before. Then it was 4am. And basically for me, I decided to get there at 4am, but Dave, you and your buddies decided on a different plan, which ultimately was the day before. Yes. So I was down there with a bunch of friends from the YouTube community, specifically four buddies of mine that I do a live stream with on Wednesday nights. It's kind of irreverent Disney. It's called Dis and That. Uh, it's with me and three other channels, The Shep Family, Zippity Doodad, and uh, Steve's World. We, we have a good time talking about Disney. It's, it's a blast. 9 p.m. Wednesday nights. Shameless plug. But it just so happened that we were all going to be there for this weekend. So it was it was very serendipitous. And we had said on multiple, multiple streams that we were going to stay out all night. And uh, it was a Wednesday night. So that's our live stream night. We were going to live stream from the line outside of Galaxy's Edge. 
And so wasn't just the what are we going to do to get in and make sure we can get everything done in the land. It was also there was a show based around this. There was uh, there was real content we were trying to create in line at Hollywood Studios that we didn't have an answer for. And we didn't know how to plan for that either. So like you said, you know, we were we were talking back and forth as to who had what information and what we learned and and two of the guys were there there ahead of time and and were was trying to get as much information as possible from cast members, but we really had nothing. And Brian, like you said, that they didn't really release anything even semi official until less than forty eight hours out. Like it was mm-hmm. nuts. Yeah, we were still hearing like two and three days before. We were still kind of just hearing secondhand from like cast members and things what yep. time the parking lot might open. <laughs> and it was right. insane. But yeah, I, I'm with you, Dave. I do not handle the lack of knowledge like that very well. Right. Um, a previous episode of the podcast, I discussed uh, my trip to Universal and everything that happened with Hagrid's magical creature motorbike adventure. And that, uh. that gave me such anxiety because I just, I could, it was completely unpredictable. And this kind of, now this turned out much better, thankfully. Yes. But the, uh, the lack of, of information and leading up to it was, it was giving giving me anxiety and I was not going. So. Didn't, didn't you feel bad for me, Brian? No. I felt bad for Dave, but not <laughs> I for pre- you. I appreciate that. Because, I mean, you, I could feel the panic in your typing when you were trying to figure out what time to get there. Because And, and the thing is, no one had an answer. It was like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I know you like can't even help three, me. I guess. Like, we were just picking random numbers because no one knew. It was horrible. What was going on. I mean, it, it's not a secret that I have anxiety, and it mainly stems from fear of the unknown. So this was my Disney nightmare. <laughs> I, <laughs> I so could true. not feel better in this in this situation. And and Dave, he actually, you know, camped out for a few hours the day before, hoping for a soft opening. And you did that for what six uh, hours? Seven, seven oh hours. Gosh. So we we got in Wednesday night. We were there as a group. Finally, at Mickey's Not So Scary on, uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday night, and still no information whatsoever. (sighs) But we did have on what we felt was semi-good authority from some cast member friends who worked at Hollywood Studios that there was going to be a soft opening after the dedication ceremony, that they were fully staffing the land. All this was going on, and it it was people that I trust would have that information, and it wasn't just one or two. So we woke up the next morning, went to Boma, ate food, and got to Hollywood Studios at opening and did nothing. <laughs> it, we did literally nothing for seven hours and sat out in front of the gates of Galaxy's Edge. The tree gates. <laughs> no, you did, like, in the most boring area. And I'm texting oh, you, and you're texting me, and I'm like, so, any news? Like, I'm I'm about to fly in. I'm like, any news? You're like, no. I get there. I'm like, anything? No. And nothing. Nothing, nothing. happened. The only reason we stuck around was because the previous two days, they had, you know, levels of cast members out from the entrance to Galaxy's Edge, and they weren't letting anyone beyond, Okay. It wasn't like you could go and sit down on the, the sides of Grand Avenue and just hang out. They were trying to keep keep people away. Well, we got there at nine and we walked right past them and we met a bunch of other vloggers that uh, that we were all hoping to to get in after the, the dedication ceremony and then turn us away. You know, they would say, and it felt like very tongue in cheek. They were saying, there's no soft opening today. Wink. And you're like, you're like, okay. So we just, we just kept waiting it out and waiting it out and waiting it out. It just kept going. <laughs> and it turned out there was no, actually no opening. So the cast members were basically trolling you all day. Yeah, completely. And the best thing was, is like about 11, about an hour after, after the dedication was over, you could kind of look down through the trees and see they were setting up the umbrellas for the massive line for Smuggler's Run, which we will get to. And y- you could see that they were setting stuff up and we're, you know, we got all excited and whatever. And uh, had a couple people join us. Uh, one, on Josh from Practically Perfect Park Hopping, he uh, he had had a, another cast member friend who at first was like, yep, it's going to happen. And then about 1130, it started getting to, well, we're hearing it's not going to happen. So 
we had an inkling, but at the end of the day, we were we were having a good time. And honestly, it was the most fun I had not doing anything at Hollywood Studios, mainly because of the people we were with. Like it, it ended up being that there were a lot of people from the Disney enthusiast community slash vlogging community slash podcast community slash whatever that were there for for opening day. And uh, they had all come in on Wednesday and through text messages, Instagram posts and whatever, we all kind of congregated out in front and literally just hung out and had a blast. It was a really good time doing nothing, but we really did nothing that day. The only thing we did was a uh, rope drop baseline tap house. I've done that. Party. It's, it's a good time. So uh, someone would, uh, would randomly live stream and uh, we would walk down, get a couple beers, get them to go walk back down. And uh, that way we could watch and see if anything was happening less than a hundred yards away, but we were watching on YouTube while we were standing in line. It was, you were very much at risk of walking into Batu drunk is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I haven't done that yet because you can't drink in Disneyland, but in the Florida version, I plan on doing that too. Oh, well, 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 oh. Maybe on a family vacation, though. Yeah, you know, around well. the children. Well, so it's not, it's not like we're on a tangent at this point. Not but, at all. So basically what ended up happening is around 8.30 p.m., Len and I just walked from Epcot to Hollywood Studios, and we just asked guest relations, like, what's the plan? And they basically said that the parking lot was going to close at a certain time, and it was going to open at 4 a.m., what she did say, which was kind of funny and kind of strange, is that, you know, they were going to go around and check the parking lot to make sure that no one was just hanging out there with their cars. But if you put your seat all the way down and lay down, they're not going to check that hard. So they would just assume that, like, if you drank too much at baseline uh, and you Ubered home and they just would assume that you left your car there. So she's like, yeah, just like lay your seat all the way back, lay down and then just back out. So we got a similar report about an hour and a half later. So we had our live stream. We called an audible. We decided to start at boardwalk and uh, just see what happens. So we did that, walked around, hit a few things, walked into the back of Epcot just to, uh, just to live stream illuminations, walked through beach and yacht club, and then moseyed over and got to Hollywood studios at 10 PM where we walked up and there was no one in line, but there were a good four to five dozen people just milling about. And we decided to ask security. So we asked security and they said, I don't know, like legit, I don't know. And then 10 minutes later, maybe five minutes later, someone who seemed higher up in security walked over and said, we're waiting for the park to be completely cleared. We are going to clear this entire area, clear the entire parking lot. The parking lot will be opened again at 4 a.m. Come back then. We said, thank you, sir. Looked at each other and said, 4 a.m. is not true. It's going to be well before that. So we at least need to position ourselves and figure out what's going on. So frankly, what better place to go figure that out than Trader Sam's? So we minivanned it from Hollywood Studios to the Poly, ate at Captain Cook's, had a beverage at Trader Sam's. And at 1130, we decided to make the call that we were going to stay up all night. Because one of two things was going to happen. We were either going to go back, sleep for an hour and a half, get up and come back at the prescribed time of 3 a.m. Because why not? Even though 4 a.m. was official, it was also official that Toy Story Land was going to open at 9 a.m. and it opened at 5. So we went with the fact that if there are enough people around, Disney's going to open early. Yep. This is tips and tricks. Brandy is officially number uh, self-prescribed number one minivan fan in the entire world. Yes, I can vouch for that. Yeah, uh, so I can vouch for that with my credit card statement. (laughs) I'm well-versed in using minivans, and we're at the the Polynesian, and we're like, well, how the heck do we get over there? Because it's 1130 at night. If we Uber from where we're at to Yacht Club, they're going to ask questions like, why are you here? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. But they don't ask questions if a minivan pulls in. So we called another minivan, Went to the Yacht Club because as we were walking through earlier in the night, we saw that Ale and Compass is open till one. We went in, sat down on Ale and Compass, ordered a beverage, asked what time they'll kick us out. They said, we don't because the door doesn't lock. Asked what time last call was and how many beverages we can order at last call. And uh, sat at Ale and Compass and stared at each other for a while saying, we're stupid. Why are we doing this? This is very like drunk mission impossible. <laughs> totally. To- and the thing was, is like, we, we weren't, we might've had three drinks each the entire night, but oh, no, you uh, spread yeah. This out. yeah, exactly. So, so we're sitting there and it's one 30 
and I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see what looks like a picture from the freaking walking dead of about a hundred people standing under an underpass on the walkway from boardwalk Mm -hmm. to Hollywood studios. The guys I was with say mount up, let's rock and roll. And we walked down there and got there at 145. And at 145, two very high level cast members come walking up and say, we're going to move you up. And they moved us 80 feet. (laughs) That would have been so anticlimactic. So it was 100% anticlimactic. Everyone's screaming and yelling and we move 80 feet so they can make more room behind us. Long and short of it is we stood there for the next hour and a half. Someone may or may not have slept on the concrete. It wasn't me. But there were a ton of people there and people just kept showing up. The fact that that picture hit Twitter, everyone who was up and was planning on doing this decided to go go to there, I guess. Head to the boardwalk and then walk down. Uh, you know, we were texting people that weren't there yet, that were in our party, that were going to be joining us. And we're like, Uber to the raceway, then walk down through the woods, like all kinds of stuff to get people there, right? And um, it was pretty crazy. The energy was really high for that hour of the evening slash morning slash night, whatever it was. And then... They started walking us up at 3.30, and then that's probably when when your portion of the story comes in, Angela. But people were getting dropped off in Ubers at the parking gates, I guess is the easiest way to put it, so where you, where you would pay going into Hollywood Studios. And cast mm-hmm. members were physically escorting them to the back of the line at Boardwalk. Hmm, interesting. So they weren't just letting people line up wherever. So it was very organized on that that end. It was very organized overall. They just didn't put the information out. I think they thought if if we tell them they can line up at midnight, they'll line up at 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe they were hoping like, oh, if we just keep telling them four, maybe they won't line up until three. And then that didn't work. And they were like, all right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> so. well, here's my take. And I, I don't understand why Disney didn't disseminate more information. And the line's going to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't care what they say. The line's going to start somewhere. If they block off the parking lot, the line's going to start at the gates going into the parking lot. And once that backs out onto the highway, what kind of safety hazard does that create? You're going to have people standing somewhere in line waiting to get here wherever you stop them. And it just so happened to be halfway up the boardwalk walkway. From a safety standpoint, I, I can't believe they didn't want to control the madness even more so. I kind of understand not wanting to invite it, but we already we already noted the fact that they did Disneyland too well. People got scared away and the people that went had no complaints because it was just it was it was the perfect opening, right? Yeah. Even if they wanted craziness, they could have controlled it better. I again, I feel. I think what they did was great, but I think if they wanted hype, hype starts at 9 p.m. when the rest of the parks closed, then you're starting to let people in to stand in line overnight on Hollywood Boulevard. You want some kick butt photos and Instagrams and and videos. It's the way to do it. I think that um, some procedural things might not have been figured out, which in Len's experience later in the day, you know, that's kind of what I'm basing that on. I got there at 4 a.m. I was up at 3 and I drove there with um, Frank from the Dillos Diz and then Justin and Landon from the Monday Morning Monorail podcast. Yes. So we got there and parked in the parking lot around 4. And it, the parking lot was really not that busy at all. And we walked right in. Security was super easy. Not long lines at all. Very controlled for, you know, the morning of an opening day thing. Mm-hmm. We were right behind guest relations when we are waiting in line and you were quite up ahead around four when it was like four Oh five, you were in the middle of the buildings five five and dime. Yeah. Like in on the main street, five and dime. Um, so you were quite a bit closer than we were. And wouldn't you say probably around four 20, 425, they started moving the line. Yeah. It might've been a little bit before that, but yeah. So they, they started moving it up. I think they officially let us into galaxy's edge at 437. If I remember correctly, but yeah, so it was, it was at some point, right? So they let everyone in at like 330, 345 onto Hollywood Boulevard from there, 345, four o'clock, they've started moving everyone back past star tours down and around onto grand Avenue. And it was a lot of stop and go traffic for a while. Mm-hmm. It was probably like 30 to 40 minutes of that. And that I think came down to the smugglers run line. Agreed. They kind of tried to funnel everyone into smugglers run. We walked. But they didn't tell you that. 
No, they didn't. And they, they kind of wanted to get everyone into the land, I believe. And it basically went from 25 to 30 feet across down to they wanted it uh, single or double line. That was definitely a process. I mean, we were the whole way up front, right? They had filled the queue, wrapped it the whole way around. The Falcon background then started up the wall under the umbrellas back towards the cantina. Where we got stopped was in front of the cantina. And then it took another 10 minutes for us to get into the queue. I personally feel that Smuggler's Run wasn't running as they were doing this. Because Mm -hmm. at one point, we were moving very, very, very slowly once we actually got into line. And then all of a sudden, it was like a 15-minute wait. And we were outside of the official queue. Brian, didn't we hear that two of the rooms were down? I heard as as much as like like one to possibly two full turntables went down at different times during the day, and it yeah mo- most people didn't notice, <laughs> right. which is pretty interesting for that ride. But uh, yeah, they were having some some operational issues all day. I, I heard, but there are so many different cockpits in there that you, it it takes a lot to really notice. Yeah. We were stopped, um, I think, kind of by the A-Wing, and we were there for 30 minutes before someone finally said, this is the line for the Falcon. If you go left, you'll actually get into the land. But that was not articulated by anyone for, like I said, 30 minutes. I think we're going to stop here and have a break for our new segment, Touring Plans, Tips, and Tricks. This segment is inspired by an iTunes review from KRF67. And anyone else who wants to leave an iTunes review, uh, that would be very helpful. Uh, you know, five stars is, is what we prefer. Yeah, but, uh, our, our tip today is about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, specifically the morning extra, extra magic hours that they are having currently at Hollywood Studios that last through November 2nd. So we still have seven weeks or so of um, morning extra extra magic hours now these are for disney hotel guests only and they last from 6 a.m until 9 a.m so if you are a disney hotel guest and plan on visiting star wars galaxy's edge we still recommend using those extra extra magic hours and if you want to do galaxy's edge first specifically if the first thing you want to do is get on Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, we still suggest you arrive about 30 minutes or so in advance. That way you can get through security. They usually start uh, opening the front gates about 15 or 20 minutes ahead of time. You can get in line and then you can just kind of get on Falcon Smuggler's Run, head over to Toy Story Land, do you know Slinky Dog Dash, do Toy Story Mania, and then kind of wander back into Galaxy's Edge and just enjoy the ambiance. And if uh, you aren't an early riser or not a Disney hotel guest, the evening wait times have been pretty reasonable for Smuggler's Run as well, especially after about 8 p.m. So our kind of secondary tip would be if you can't make that, uh, that early extra magic hour, then go a little bit later in the day. We are also starting a new segment where it's called the Touring Plans Highlight of the Day. This is when we highlight a tool or, you know, a software feature on our website. And today is the menu search feature. Here you can browse the menu of every Walt Disney World, Disneyland, or Universal Orlando restaurant on property. If you're looking for a gluten-free option at Magic Kingdom, you can just type gluten-free into the search bar. You can narrow down your options by quick service, table service, even Disney dining plan eligible snacks. And you can find this option under the dining feature on our website. Okay, yep. back to the show. Whew. We're so official, Brian. Look at us. My goodness. So back to opening day procedures. So we know what it was like for you as far as getting into the land, Dave. You were up pretty close to Smuggler's Run right away. I was kind of back by the A-Wing. Len got there a little later than me, I think maybe by 445. And he noticed everything was kind of kebabble. At one point, the line to get into the land. I I love kebabble. Such a good word. I don't don't know the smart vocabulary, so I make up those. (laughs) At one point, the land to get into to Galaxy's Edge was back by the Grauman Chinese Theater. And there seemed to be confusion. He watched the cast members kind of struggle to not know where to put people. They were going to wrap people around. They were going to put people in certain areas, but it was going to block the walkway. And there was just a lot of confusion. So at that point, they decided to then open the virtual queue. And yeah, about, about a half hour too late, they decided that. Yes. Because I think what happened, I think the cast members were expecting them to do it. And then it didn't come. And they were like, oh, we did not have a plan for when the line got out here. 
And that kind of caused its own set of problems because the virtual queue could be done anywhere in the world, essentially. Yep. I had a reservation <laughs> for about 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. my house in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a big oopsie for a little bit, but then that was figured out. And from then on, the rest of the day was pretty smooth. I mean, okay, let's go to your initial reactions of the land being a Star Wars fan. Man, I've been trying to figure this out. It was completely overwhelming. And I think that was a part of multiple things. One, you're in a sea of people and you're you're trying to take everything in but still move forward. But the land itself is just chock full of detail. Like right now, me not being able to talk about this is a function of how awesome it is because I'm usually never at a loss for words to a point that I'm in line for Smuggler's Run and a couple of the guys in my party look at me and go, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. He's like, like you've never not talked for this long. It was 100% true. There was so much to take in. I was, I was just I was taking in the grandeur of, of, the, of the space. It is massive, Angela. Massive. It is. It's so disorienting. Like, when you see other people's footage of it, it makes total sense. But when you're walking through it, especially in the dark at 4.30, right. y- you get lost. Mm-hmm. You, It makes no sense. Yeah, it's just huge. In Kylo Ren's shuttle, video doesn't do it justice. The thing's massive. Massive. Yeah. 50 feet tall, maybe? Are you talking about the, the TIE fighter? Yeah, his his shuttle in the in the First Order occupied area yes, right yeah the one by the supply yes store yeah. yeah it's it's huge and and don't you just want to go inside but you can't and then it's frustrating because you just want to walk up into there it, exactly and having a life-size x-wing and an a-wing hanging out and then the the falcon itself is just something to behold like the detail the fact that it looks weathered and the cockpit for it is massive yes that's the first thing I noticed is how big the cockpit was. Yes. I'm talking really loud. Sorry. That's fine. But I didn't I did not expect it to be that large. Like I just kept focusing on how big the cockpit was yeah. because again, the pictures and the video do not do it justice. And I did not expect to tear up because I mean I'm a fan. I grew up with it. I had a Star Wars poster in college in my dorm room. But it's like like you don't expect to be that emotional over right. it, but it's huge. Right. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was rather emotional walking in. Again, maybe a function of lack of sleep and in that probably yeah but but fast forward to the next day when i ended up going back because i didn't think i had enough footage for a vlog i teared up the second time walking in so it is definitely a function of of the land the the fact that it's massive the detail every little bit of detail and as as someone who likes to shoot b-roll for for the vlogs that we do there's no way you can get enough b-roll or too much b-roll there's so much so much detail that you want to show. It's crazy. With that said, it being that big, I found it much more easy, much easier to navigate than I thought it was going to be. Yes. The first day I saw everything in the dark and I left and did not find everything. I did not find Docking Bay 7. I did not find Doc Anders. (laughs) <laughs> couldn't find it because it was dark. I still, I, I did not know where they were. That's great. I could not find them. And even the second day, I was only there for less than an hour. Didn't have time to find them again. And it's just crazy because, you know, again, I keep going back to other people's footage, but you see it. It's like right there, all laid and packaged in this perfect little present wrapped with a bow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the way it's spread out and the way that it's labeled or not labeled, you know, on the exterior. It's kind of overwhelming. The way you said you were speechless, that's exactly how I felt. You cannot describe it. No, and a couple things stood out. One, it's not like anywhere else in any other park, ever. You can't compare it to, and you don't understand all the reports of of people saying that, I didn't feel like I was in an amusement park. I didn't think that I was at Disneyland anymore. And then you get in there, and I vividly remember saying, I'm going to food and wine later, and for a second, a split second thinking, how am I going to get there? Yeah. It like didn't make sense. No, it didn't. It didn't make sense. And it was just, it was so, it's so weird. Two things stick out. One, there's no signage. There's signage, but it's not overt. It's not like anywhere else. It's not like the rest of the theme park industry is trying to drive you somewhere. 
they want you to come in and buy this stuff. That it mm-hmm. that signage is nowhere near as overt. Like if you didn't know where the cantina was and there wasn't a line outside, you wouldn't know the cantina was there because it is in some sort of random arabesque looking cantina. And that does, I will say, I have lots to gush about, but that is very frustrating, especially mm-hmm. when it was as dark as it was because- right. You know, it's hard to find things. Like I said, I left that morning and I had not even found two of the buildings, you know, quick service and an actual, you know, shop. I hadn't found them. Um, So that can get really frustrating. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find bathrooms sometimes, the water filling stations. So that's just, that's why it's really important to explore and make the time to explore the land. And look at the map. I mean, we went in with a, a, an onslaught of people. And unless you walked back to the front, you weren't getting a map of the land. Oh, that is so true. I always had to walk back to the front. Yeah. Yep. And and we went back and got a map and you could, you could then navigate your way through it and could find everything at that mm-hmm. point. But the second part, and this is the part that threw me a lot. And I think this is the part that, that really sets apart, which is a really bad way to say it. The, the fact that you, you feel like you're not in a theme park. There's no music. None. It is random ambient sound. You sit down at one spot over by Ronto's Roasters and you can kind of, it feels like you're in Jurassic Park because it sounds like there's some animal running around in the, in the grass behind you. That sound. You hear ships landing, going into like hyperspeed, hyperspace, light speed. I never know which one to use, but you hear that, which is so cool. So amazing. I did never, I never got over that sound. That was so, that was neat. It's, it's really cool. And you know, in my estimation, that's what sets it apart. And you, you literally get in there and you don't feel like you're in an amusement park again. No, it's, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. They did. They did a great job with it. And really it's just, you could go there and explore a lot like daily and not see everything. I don't know how long it would take me to get to know that area as much as I know the rest of the parks. Or as well as I know the rest of the parks. Yes, like people are saying, and and I think these are mainly people who are not Star Wars fans like you and I, that they're saying, you know, I went once, I don't have to go again. Yeah. And I completely understand that if you're not a Star Wars fan, especially because there's only one attraction. I do think that Rise of the Resistance will help with that. Because right now, right. there's one attraction, and there's shops, and there's two experiences, you know, Sabi's and Joy Depot, and that those are both expensive. Right. So it's basically shopping and one ride. Mm-hmm. So it is my hope that, especially after Rise of the Resistance, there will be more to go for, mm-hmm. go back for, and hopefully at some point they'll add maybe another attraction so that the non-Star Wars fans will keep coming back. But speaking of the attractions, let's talk about Smuggler's Run because we both uploaded videos we did. of our experience. We did. I was in probably the best Smuggler's Run cockpit that you could be in. We did so well. We wouldn't have gotten fired if we were employed. By uh, <laughs> at all um, I don't know how saying this with a straight face yeah um uh, it was hilarious now b- backing up the whole experience is fantastic it is a it is a simulator ride i uh drew the short straw and got to be the engineer and yep. was absolutely thrilled that i got to be the engineer because i got to press like 27 different buttons it was awesome for real it is really neat i oh i think i was given gunner and i think len made someone switch with me because he's like it'd be funnier if you were a pilot so i think he made someone switch with me and that i was pilot yes well that was not my original position i would say for those of you who are curious about what it's like it is it's like glorified star tours if you were given something to do and Mm -hmm. you don't get as as motion sickness right as motion agreed it's uh it's much smoother than star tours watching it on on youtube I feel that the plot of the whole thing is a little thin, but then you start watching multiples and you see that a lot of different stuff can happen. And then you Mm -hmm. get in the cockpit and experience it. And you're an engineer and you, you think that it's going to be very mission space esque, right? Where, Oh, press the button now. No, it's not. And it's like, like as an engineer, there was a wall of buttons to my left. And I thought like maybe 12 of them would operate. No, it was a ton. There were switches and buttons and, as things would happen, you had to quote unquote repair the ship. You had to hit different buttons and it wasn't just one at a time. It was like one up here at head level and then three switches, but not all beside each other down like where, where your armrest is and then another button. It was like you had to do multiple functions to keep the ship at 100%, which is how you got scored. 
That's my question mm-hmm. is because I think a lot of people before they go on the ride think, oh, if I get engineer, I got the short end of the stick. Right. Do you feel like the engineer has a cool job? Yeah. Like, do they have enough it, to do? They, there, was, there was definitely enough to do. And I think it's the best view. I would agree for filming. For yes. filming, for sure. I am also under the impression that if you sit in the pilot seat and the fact that you were surrounded by the entirety of that screen, it's probably pretty sweet. I can't. I only was the pilot. Oh my gosh, what a jaded life! Right, I was only the pilot. <laughs> but I would say, just judging from that experience, it's the best experience, but it's also the most stressful. I like was in cold sweats by the end of it, and I had the start of a tension migraine because it. There's so much to do. Right. I didn't know the controls were inverted, so I was going up when I was supposed to be going down, and vice versa. It was. Right. If you read the card they give you, it tells you exactly what to do. I was so jazzed to be the pilot that right. I didn't read it. I was just like, let's go, let's go time. I'm ready. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I had to have like three people tell me like, no, you're doing it wrong before I figured it out. Like I said, uh, Dave and I both have videos on our YouTube channel. Mine is the Touring Plans YouTube channel. His is uh, Brandy and Dave. So you can check out both of those. Uh, they're both hilarious. Oh, His, oh my gosh, when, I don't remember who it was. Was it with zip, was it zip, zippy zip, yeah yeah put it into light speed for the first time everyone cheered it was hilarious well, yeah th- it was it was the uh, knockoff punch it chewy and uh and shep from the shep family yelled yelled punch it zippy and it oh. it was perfect and it was great so piggybacking off of that real quick if you have the ability to do it in a group of six uh, people that you know oh my oh my is it fun Sheer madness. Sheer madness. I was lucky enough. Uh, as I said, it was uh, it was the the four of us from from this and that. So so Steve Zip and Shep, Josh from Practically Perfect Park Hopping, and Corey from Corey Meets World, and we had hung out all night together. So we were all sleep deprived, and we all get in there. And you have to watch the video, and I don't want to give away the best line from it. But Corey and Shep had both ridden it in Disneyland. They were out at D twenty three, so they gave up the the pilot seat to two of the three of us that hadn't done it before. And um, I drew the short straw, as I said, I, I lost the uh, rock, paper, scissors battle. So those two got to pilot it, Steven and, and Zip, and um, they literally hit everything. And uh, as we were walking off, Corey yells something to the effect of, you guys hit things that they didn't even know that you could hit. You're like helping them write new code right now. Like, oh my God. it was insane. Yeah, you definitely, you have to check it out. It's so funny. The experience itself is so much more fun if you know everyone in the cockpit. It is rowdy and raucous and just a blast. And it will either make them like hate you more if you make them want to throw up or if you don't know them, you're just like, all right, bye. Yeah, whatever. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's it's a fun ride. I think Rise of the Resistance is going to be insane. I mean, four ride systems in one ride. It's just like, again, sheer madness. But okay, moving on. Yes. Ogus Cantina. Yes. So you and I did this differently. You made like 15 reservations. Right. I didn't make any because I'm an idiot. But yes. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about your thoughts with the cantina. So between four of us, we had, I think, nine reservations at Ogus. We needed zero of them. Staying up all night, our reservations were for 11 and 1120. And we were all pretty dragging at about 830 that morning. So we're like, how are we going to make it to 11? We basically had a group of nine and eight seats or eight eight uh, spots in a reservation. So we had one at 11 and one at 11.20. We went up to try to combine them and they said, no, we can't do it at 11. But if you can get your whole party here right now, we can get you in. And this is at 8.30 oh, in the morning. So frantically, we got our whole whole party there. Um, Corey had bailed. Uh, it was Josh and Jenna from Resort TV One. And then Kyle Palo and, and JoJo from JoJo's World. I'm just... It's, it's name drop central right now for Dave. I know. Do it. Why not? I know. So anyway, we got everyone there and basically we walk into the cantina at 9 a.m. and start drinking. It was amazing. Uh, it was definitely didn't feel like morning for sure. But you had said earlier that there's really only one attraction. And I would say that it's an attraction and a half. Oga's that cool. Yeah. Personal opinion. It was probably my favorite part of the entire 
entire experience. Definitely, definitely a must do. I did not do the cantina. Um, one of the reasons being is I also covered food and wine. So after I did Galaxy's Edge, I went over for food and wine and covered that with a touring plan staff. We were going to try to get in the next day because we had a tour, but um, they were not able to secure reservations. So wow. I will be doing the cantina in December when Rise of the Resistance opens. So stay tuned for that. Um, Yes, Cantina, though, just something you have to experience. Did you try the blue milk at the milk stand? I did. So real quick on the Cantina, if you are taking advantage of the tips and tricks of the day on this episode and going in, it's 6 a.m. I walked up as a party of one and got into Oga's in less than 18 seconds at 8.30 in the morning. But here's the deal. Oga's opens at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of it. You texted me at 7.30 and you're like, we just walked into Oga's Cantina. <laughs> yes, yeah. like, we just walked in. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Definitely a lot of people try to make it make the reservations for later because it is it is a bar, it is a lounge, whatever you want to classify it as. The drinks, I, I only tried the alcoholic versions. They were all good. I had the jet juice, the uh, uh, Dagobah Slug Slinger, which was really solid. I also had one of the uh, uh, completely overpriced beers that are made specifically for Galaxy's Edge. You gotta. Yeah, I got nothing to write home about. It was a solid IPA. But um, yeah, the experience in there, I equate it to Trader Sam's Light, where sometimes Trader Sam's can get over the top with all of the two shots of rum and all the storms and the Nautili going 20,000 leagues under the sea. This is a much more uh, bar slash party atmosphere, I feel. The music is, again, I feel an appropriate level. It's loud enough to hear, but not overbearing where you're yelling at the rest of your party. And there's enough little cast member interactions with each other where they're doing, for lack of a better term, shows. And they're, they're interspersed and they're not tied to drinks. So it's a very, very energetic atmosphere without it being over the top. The service is out of this world. You could tell that they took the best of the best and put it there. And they are much like everyone else in the land, completely in character. So when we brought in one of these small little Sprite thermal detonators, our server yelled at us and (laughs) said, get it away from me. It's too close. Like really, really played it up. She did a fantastic job. But overall, it's it's cool to see that there's a if you are a, a Star Tours fan, an original Star Tours fan, there's a ton a ton of Easter eggs that DJ Rex throws out there. It's a great experience. And and really, we tried only the alcoholic stuff, but there are seven, am I right, Angela? Six or seven non-alcoholic themed drinks there that, uh, that I haven't heard anything negative about. That sounds about right. I'm going to have to double check that because everyone I know has done the alcoholic drinks. Right. Although uh, my my cousin is going there next month and she's seventeen, so I'm gonna I'm gonna check on that. There you go. Okay, going back to the blue milk. Yes. You discovered kind of a hack, a blue uh, and green milk. Here's hack. the blue and green milk hack. Mix them. That's the easy way. Uh, so the next day, the second time I was in there, the milk line was not fifty minutes long. So walked right up. I ordered a standard blue milk and the tequila infused green milk, and tried each of them individually then mixed them and it was almost like uh like back in the day when ruby tuesday had all the frozen margaritas and they would be different colors and mixed together but uh it's really good didn't one have rum one had tequila the green one had tequila in it the blue blue has rum if you get the alcoholic version okay that's what it was so yes the alcoholic green milk plus standard blue milk equals deliciousness the blue milk, I think, tastes like fruity pebbles or cotton candy, something along along those lines. And the green milk tastes like tequila when they put tequila in it. <laughs> there's, not, there's not an overwhelming flavor from, from whatever it's supposed to be. So I didn't try the green milk by itself, but whenever you mix them together, it, uh, it was a very, very interesting flavor. I thought they were delicious together. Did you do... Joy Depot or Savvy's Workshop? Did not. Wasn't going to drop the two hundo on a lightsaber. And Joy Depot, the line was massively long and I didn't get a reservation. So Joy Depot is probably more interesting for me. I I would need to see a couple more of the actual lightsabers that have been made because at first they weren't exactly what 
I thought they were going to be. They're more more similar to the old plastic ones, but more streamlined. Like the ones that you used to be able to do or probably still can do at Star Tours. Yeah. It's still pieced and parted together. I don't know if it's worth two hundo when you can buy one for one thirty five that's like made of metal and a collector's it's the experience I, for sure. I'm down with that and I understand that and eventually I'm going to have to, but with two kids, I don't want to drop four hundred dollars on two lightsabers. Yeah, exactly. So that's gonna be tough. I did neither of those. Yeah, opening day had such long lines. I mean, it was such organized chaos if I've ever seen it. It, it was so organized. There were lines everywhere. There was no one, there were no crabby cast members on opening day. Everyone was very pleasant. So that made the crowd pleasant. There were areas where it wasn't too congested, but there were lines everywhere. Like Ronto Roasters was around the corner. Yep. There was an hour wait, wait for Doc Honors, Blue Milk. I kept saying it was towards the entrance. Someone, someone wrote a YouTube comment saying I was wrong, but that's what it felt like to me is it was towards the A-wing for the milk stand. You're not, was you're the, not wrong. It was, I mean, it was towards the entrance, so well, in my opinion. Yeah. So yes, I wasn't going to wait in line for that. You know what I mean? On that opening day, especially since I was coming back the next day. But yeah, there were lines everywhere. And this was all before the virtual queue. And then once that opened up, that significantly went down. Erin Foster went in when she got a virtual queue reservation and she got in everywhere. So it was great. So we'll kind of wrap it up here with some final thoughts. What would you have done differently? First of all, Ronto's Roasters is the place to go. Oh, I didn't even bring that up, did I? No, No. I I didn't eat at Docking Bay 7, but I don't know if I ever will because the standard Ronto's wrap is that good. Oh, so many people have said how good that is. It is. It is a... A very well done, uh, not well done, like cooked, but the it is a very tasty hot dog with some semi-spicy sauce and a spicy slaw and a pita bun, pita bread, Ooh. whatever. It was fantastic. I didn't even have the breakfast one. I had the regular one for breakfast. Oh my gosh. Oh, so good. Had it twice. Had it the second day too. I couldn't even bring myself to go into Docking Bay 7. I wanted another one. It was, it was really good. I've heard good things about Docking Bay 7. Um, I think the space in there looks pretty good, at least from from watching it and from peeking in a little bit. But Ronto's for sure. I really didn't get a chance to hang out in the bazaar all that much. I did, but it was just so crowded. And like just to get a peek into some of these shops, you were in like a 10 or 15 minute line. And I'm just like, I'm over it. I did walk through, but that's where people were walking through to get into the land. That's where the right. cast members were sending people who were not waiting in line for smugglers run. Mm-hmm. So it was very congested, right. but the shops were cute. They were nice, fun things to look at. Not really much else to report there. And then that's where the Katsaka's kettle popcorn was too. Yes. Popcorn. Yeah. Didn't try any. I didn't either. I want to. Reason- I, I basically did nothing. I let's just say I did nothing. I didn't experience Galaxy's Edge. You walked. You walked around and you got. I walked in and I walked out. But but the atmosphere that morning was fantastic. As much as it was crazy and crowded, the way that Disney wanted it, with lines and pictures and whatever, it was a great experience. You had asked me before. I said something about Rontos. What would I do differently? I don't know because the overall experience of it with the folks I was with, I don't think I would trade for anything. It was a blast. We had a ton of laughs. Just enjoyed the heck out of the land, what we what we did end up doing. I don't think I would do anything differently from that aspect. From a, I'm planning on going and touring the place, what would I do differently? Like you guys said, make sure you're there early. Take advantage of the of the extra extra magic hours while they're available if you're going in the next eight weeks. Get on Smuggler's Run off the bat, or if you're in a party that doesn't mind separating and have ridden it before as a group, just Mm -hmm. keep riding the single line over and over and over again. Yep, single rider for sure. So single rider is available. There's going to be a whole heck of a lot of families that are uh, three, four, and five that are, uh, they're going to be pulling one or two from single riders. Mm -hmm. So it seems to move pretty steadily. I mean, I know people that went through it three times and they didn't wait more than 10 minutes anytime. Yep. As far as what I would do differently, I probably would have extended my trip by a day. Being a work trip, I always fill up my schedule and just jam pack it. So I would have made more time by staying another day to see more of Galaxy's Edge. But gosh, they opened the land when it was Labor Day and on the same day as Food and Wine. 
that was that was a crazy time. I mean, I'm so glad I experienced it, but man, I mean, it was what it, a wild ride. It was a lot, and frankly, I had to cut my trip a day short because of Dorian. Yeah. So and there was Dorian coming. Yeah. That's right. And you know, we we went in uh, and did all this, and went back and napped, and woke up to Dorian being not the category one or two that they predicted. It was already a four and it was bearing down and had a decision to make at that point, whether or not I was going to change my flight to the day before because it was available and I couldn't take any more time off. So I had to, and then obviously it stalled out and I could have easily gotten out Sunday morning instead of Saturday morning. Yeah. But along with some other things that, that came to fruition because of that, I wouldn't do anything differently on the trip. Frankly, I'll get back. It's what, it's what we do. We continue to go yeah. back. So but yeah, I would definitely do that. The other thing I would do is take advantage of the cantina early. I don't think yeah. people realize that you can walk up to it. I also think that like most most places you rope drop, so you know, rope dropping Brown Derby Lounge or anything like that that can can fill up mid-afternoon and then well into the evening and you may not get a seat. I think the cantina is kind of the same way, but people aren't going to want to go in and have alcoholic beverages even on vacation at seven o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So if you're if you're down definitely take advantage of it. Even if, even if you're not going to partake, the non-alcoholic stuff looks, looks pretty solid. And the experience itself is, is fantastic. So I would get those two things out of the way and then go from there. What I'm really interested in is how rise of the resistance is going to affect the way you enter the land, because it is so close to the front. Where are they going to put people? Well, and I will be there on opening day of Rise of the Resistance, which is the next time I'm going back to Walt Disney World. So the next time I see Galaxy's Edge will be on that crazy day. So I know it's going to it's going to be wild. I will film and document that. But I think that's all for today. Before we go, Dave, please plug all of your social media so people know where to find you and Brandy. So Brandy and I uh, have a YouTube channel. It's a visiting Disney from a family's perspective. It's youtube.com slash Brandy ampersand Dave. So don't spell it out, but Brandy and Dave with an ampersand. Also Twitter and Instagram, Brandy and Dave. And we have the Disfluencers podcast, which we spotlight different influencers across the Disney community. Everything from YouTube to podcasts to Instagram. It's a lot of fun. It's interview style. It's long form it's a blast. And uh, then I also do the live stream, the dis and that live stream with uh, the chef family, Zippity Doodad and Steve's world on Wednesday nights at nine o'clock. Check it out. It's irreverent Disney. I dressed up as Bo Peep for an episode. Just leave it at that. And finally, uh, Brandy has an Etsy shop. What is that called? Uh, It is Brandy and Dave designs. So check it out. She does ears and a whole bunch of other crafty craftness. Yes, they are very well made. Um, If you saw my Villains After Hours video on the YouTube channel, she made my Maleficent dragon ears, and they are amazing. I love them so much. They're They're actually displayed, like, on my shelf. I'm looking at them right now. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Dave. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and I hope you have a great day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Touring Plans Podcast. More money-saving episodes on the way. In the meantime, plan your perfect trip at touringplans.com.